in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Once again, good morning. We're beginning a new sermon series today. A sermon series called The Power of One. Uh, where we're going to take a, a few weeks to talk about the power that certain things has have in our lives. Now, and I'm not talking negatively here. I'm not talking about the, the power that certain things have in our lives in a negative fashion. I'm talking about the things that are in our lives that provide encouragement and strength and unity. We're going to talk one week about prayer and the power behind prayer. We're going to discuss family and the power behind the, uh, leaving a legacy, instilling a legacy in your children. We're going to talk about the power of a witness, the power of vision. And today, we're going to talk about the power behind relationships, the power of one friend, the power of one friend. And we're going to take a look at 2 Kings chapter 2 as our focal passage. Now, there is another verse in Scripture that I want to, to bring up first. It's, it's a proverb 18.24, which reads, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, think about that. Let me ask you, have you, have you have, can, can you say that, that yes, in your life, that, that you have a friend that sticks closer than blood, that sticks closer than a brother? Someone who was, who was there for you when you needed them or when you needed to call her in the middle of the night? Someone that you needed to, to, to check in on you? Someone that you ran to when life was at its worst? And if you, if you do, if you have a person like that, you know the power of a friend, the power of a friend. But at the same time, I know that there are some of us who are of the type of personality that, that we don't necessarily like to kind of open up. You know, we're, we kind of live in, within this little shelter where, where I feel like that I have to deal with these these things in my life on my own. And I don't have that person. Perhaps it's because you've been burned too many times by a person who called themselves a friend. I know I have, and I, and I, I think that that is a, a common experience as we learn how to open up and as we look for that person that the Lord has put into our life to be able to speak into its innermost place. For some, it's their spouse, it's that, it's that partner that they have connected themselves to. And, uh, and, but for some of us, you know, even there are some things that I just need that brother in Christ or I need that sister in Christ that we need to just get together and, uh, and, and let me just let it all out. You know, and knowing that that person isn't going to judge me, that that person's going to be there, that's going to be there to pray over me, he's going to be there to check on me later to see how I'm handling that, that issue that I, that I raised up in confidential, confidentiality to them and, 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 and such. But, but sometimes, you know, we, we, it, our, our spouses get that part, get that responsibility thrown at them. And, and for some, you know, we've been, we, you might be married to a partner that, that uh, well, you know, there's just certain things that I need to go to a brother or sister in Christ to be able to share with. I believe that God uses 
the relationships in our life to have an impact in our life, to be able to speak to us. You know, he speaks to us in scripture, he speaks to us by spirit, he speaks to us in prayer, but also in our relationships with one another. He sends people our way to speak into our life, to help us understand or gain wisdom or, or, or to be encouraged. And they're that person that he sent to be that encouragement to us. Not all people we come across are passers-by, is what I'm trying to say. They are people that God has put into our life so that they can be of ministry to us, even if they don't see themselves as a minister. And he's put those people in our lives so that we can be of ministry to them, even if we don't consider ourselves a minister either. Have you ever thought about God using you that way? You know, to, to, to speak his word or to speak his encouragement in someone else's life. Or perhaps you know exactly what I'm talking about. He has used you in those ways and you've recognized that. And you, and you have those, those people in your life that, that you look to and that you rely upon and that you lean upon. And they lean upon you as well. And you, and you recognize it for, for this ex, ex, express purpose. The people or certain people that God has put into our lives, I believe that they're there so that we can have that special ministry to them. But in a lot of ways, we have learned maybe by culture or maybe through our family, um, you know, that, you know, there's just some things that you just don't share. You know, there's some things that you just keep to yourself. What I find in Scripture is that there are several friendships that we can look to to help us understand this, this ministry of friendship. Let's go over a few of them as we get to the main one for today's message. The first is Ruth and Naomi. Now, of course, Ruth was married into the family. uh, And and not long after she was married into the family, her, her husband died. And so did his brothers. And it was the responsibility at the time that the brothers were to help and to, you know, uh, support any widows in the family. And before long, a mother and all of her daughter-in-laws find themselves as widows with no one to support them. So what does Naomi tell uh, her daughter-in-laws to do? She tells them to go back to their homelands, to go back to to their families and, and hopefully they be able to find a, a husband there. All of them but one did. And that's the beauty behind this story. When it is when we hear have that wonderful quote. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And we see through this beautiful relationship between Naomi and Ruth, you know, that there was a connection that was there and that, that, that Naomi and Ruth, that Ruth was going to support Naomi and they were going to be there and they were going to go through this uncertain time together until the Lord provided and they were cared for. Another set of, of friends were David and Jonathan. David had a friend in Jonathan, and this was the Jonathan who was son to King Saul, who was jealous of David. 
because of all the accolades that he had earned and all the chants that were being made uh, in David's favor. 1 Samuel 18 says, Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. There was a relationship there that even through the, uh, the division, how it would have divided the family, family or, or what David meant to Jonathan, he was a special friend. They had a special relationship there that not even you know, Saul was going to be able to get in between the two of them. And how about Job and, and his three friends? After losing his children, his livelihood, and his wealth, Job had three friends come to visit him. And they usually get a bad rap, don't they? They usually get a bad rap because of their inevitable counseling. But it's their introduction in Job that I find uh, particularly moving. It's in Job chapter 2, how it, and here's how it reads. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all his adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with them on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, I find that particularly moving, the relationship that these four had with one another, that these three men put everything else off, each one coming from his own place, making the appointment that we're going to be there and we're going to be there for Job. And then when they were able to lay their eyes on the condition that he was in, on the situation at hand, they went into a period of mourning and they just sat with Job for seven days and seven nights before they even started speaking. Who wouldn't want a friend like that? When life is at its worst, to just be there, to sit with me, don't have to say a thing. Just be here. The fourth uh, duo is Elijah and Elisha. Um, they were co-workers, so to speak. Missionaries, prophets, however way you want to uh, coin the term there. But the bond that they shared kept them together. Even when one was asking the other to stay behind. These two men were on a journey together, and they, uh, unlike any that they had been on before, traveling through Gagal, Bethel, Jericho, and the Jordan. And it was a, a unique walk on this, per, during this particular time, because at the ending of each leg of the journey, Elijah would turn to Elisha and ask his friend to stay. And not go with them any further. And here is how Elisha responded. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will never leave your side. That's the power behind a friendship. One who is there with you, even when you're asking them. Stay back. You don't have to do this one with me. 
So our passage today is 2 Kings chapter 2. Let's, let's read it together. It says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Elisha stuck with Elijah the entire journey. He wasn't about to leave his friend Now, I've heard it said before that the four places they traveled through has a kind of spiritual significance behind it. And so I feel like it would be good for us to kind of go through this journey with them and and take note of the significance between the four places that they visited on this journey because it speaks to, well, I guess you could say the different things in life. That we need a friend to be by our side during. The first is Gilgal. Our passage starts with them in Gilgal. The first mention of this place is in the book of Joshua chapter 4. This is when the Israelites were crossing the Jordan River to finally take the promised land. It, it reads that when the Israelites were crossing the Jordan, you know, God's, God parted the waters of the Jordan for them to be able to walk through. And as they were crossing the Jordan, Joshua stopped in the middle and he picked up 12 stones from the middle of the river as they crossed it. And after they crossed it, they, he, he put them together to form an altar in Gilgal, in Gilgal. And so here's how the passage reads. This is Joshua 4, looking at um, verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. So, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So we would agree that this was a significant moment in Israel's history, right? This, this, this signified something in their lives. It, it was a moment where they symbolized the mighty hand of God that got them out of Egypt, crossing 
the Red Sea, that saw them through the desert and had them cross the Jordan. They had yet to take the promised land yet, right? They, they have yet to take the promised land, but they were symbolizing here with this altar the mighty hand of God thus far in our lives. So when Elisha refuses to leave Elijah in this very area where this altar would have been assembled by their ancestors. His actions symbolized the promise that God made to them way back when. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you, Elisha says. Well, you know what the Lord said to them in Deuteronomy 12.8? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Gilgal represents that forever kind of relationship that we have with God, that they had with God. And here at this first leg of the journey, it symbolized the relationship that Elisha and Elijah had. Just as the Lord will never leave us, I will never leave you. The second area they visited was Bethel. We first see Bethel in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob leaves his home to go and find a wife. And while he is on a journey, he takes a stone and he puts it under his head, Scripture tells us, to go to sleep. Doesn't sound like my pillow to me. But anyway, so while he is sleeping, and I suppose I would have this type of dream too if I had my head on a rock one night. He is given a vision of a ladder a stairway to heaven, cue the music, right? A stairway to heaven and angels coming up and down, right? And so it's while he's sleeping that God appears to him in the dream and he gives him a promise. Here's what it says, Genesis 28, 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. So here, years later, here is Elijah asking Elisha, stay behind in Bethel. And what does Elisha say? As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. Sounds just like the promise to Jacob in Genesis 28. I'm hanging in there with you, friend. That was the promise. The third area they visited was Jericho. Now, one of the first things we think about when we hear of Jericho is, is, the, is the Hebrew army walk, marching around the walls of Jericho every day and then on the seventh day seven times and then shouting and the walls come what? Tumbling down. Walls come tumbling down. Joshua chapter 6 says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. What would a, a promise between Elijah and Elisha look like in the ruins of Jericho. 
in the region of Jericho, what might it represent? Perhaps a friendship that says, I will do the seemingly ridiculous task. I will jump through hoops. I will do for you what no one else would think of doing for you. I would do for you what you wouldn't even ask someone to do for you. Because you're my friend. I will walk around the wall seven days and shout at, shout at it if it will help you through whatever it is you're going through. That's what walking through Jericho represented. And then fourth, they end up back at the Jordan. Now, I've already mentioned the Jordan one time to you because it all started in Gilgal, just off the banks of the Jordan. So it's almost as if you see it on the map on the screen as if they did a, a, a circular type of walk, didn't they? They walked in a, in a big circle coming back to the Jordan River. In their history, we know that, they, that the Israelites ended up on the eastern banks of the Jordan River twice, didn't they? The first time they showed up was just a couple of weeks, just a couple of weeks after leaving Mount Sinai. And they send in the 12 spies and 10 of them have, of course, come back and say there's no way that we're going to be able to take this promised land for our own. And so, you know, God rewarded them for that and sent them back out in the desert for 40 years. Well, thank you, Lord. But then the second time when they find themselves back on the eastern banks of the Jordan River, they're like, absolutely, yes, sir, we can do it. We can do all things through God who gives me strength. Amen. Now they're quoting those verses. They're going to get through it. What happened in that moment? As God parted those waters and they walked through, they left Egypt behind. They left all of that behind them. All of that that, you know, where they were just wandering, where they were just trying to figure it out, where as they were growing and as they were maturing, it was almost as if, you know, they, they now crossed a line in their lives, a point in their lives where now I'm going to step out in faith. What happens between two friends whenever they're, you know, one of them finds themselves at an important point in their life? And they have that person that's there to support them in the decisions that they're making. Helps them to step out in faith and to leave the past behind. You know, that's what crossing the Jordan here represents. Here's what happens back in our passage in verse 6. It says, Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And, and he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. I'd like to have a friend like that. That's a, that's a pretty neat friend there. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken, it will be yours. 
otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Here is something, a point in his life where Elisha was, had been ministering into Elijah's spirit through these three or four stops. I will never leave you. Surely as the Lord lives, I will never leave you. And then in return, Elisha himself received a blessing. You know, he wasn't going to go away. He wasn't going to leave his friend. And as we consider the four places that Elisha went with Elijah, refusing to leave each time, he was asked to do exactly that. Turn away. You don't have to go any farther. But Elisha wouldn't. His friend or his friendship with Elisha was too great. As I think of their relationship, as we consider the relationship that they had, I can't help but think about what God has called each of us to be for one another. Through our own version of Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. The times in life when we needed that friend that sticks closer than a brother. A friend who will say that as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. A friend who will be there in the best of times, during the scariest moments of life, through the worst of times, and through each leg of life's journey. What I'm saying is, don't underestimate the value that you have in your friend's life. The ministry that you could have as you speak into their life, as you walk with them through life, or even when they ask you, you can stay behind now. And you just show how dear that relationship is by refusing to. Perhaps it's one of those pledges as they begin their journey in Gilgal. Or through the unknown in Bethel. Or maybe as you promise and, and follow through with jumping through the hoops. To ensure that everything with them is, is fine, is alright as they visit Jericho. Or to be by their side as they cross the, journey, the Jordan. To make that final decision that yes, I'm ready. Elisha made a pledge to Elijah. And Elijah didn't have to face the journey alone. He didn't have to face this part of his life alone. That's the tremendous impact being a friend can be. In Ecclesiastes 2, the wise teacher realizes that trying to go through life alone is miserable and meaningless and fruitless. And then he writes these words, two are better than one 
because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man, there's your Mr. T reference, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Powerful passage. What it means to be a friend. What does all of this have to do within the context of the power of one? Perhaps the message should be the power of two, right? And it could be. But there are times in a relationship when it's usually one way. Because of an instance, an incident, because of a tragedy, because of a worry, because of a poor decision. And your friend needs you to go over and above what anyone else in their life is currently doing. Elijah needed Elisha. Sometimes you'll need to call on someone to be there for you. And you may have that friend, that someone that that you can call. But what about on your end? My point is that you and I can't and you and I shouldn't be doing this thing called life alone. We need that person, that prayer partner, that encourager in our life. And when you think about it, it's exactly what the Apostle Paul told us that we're supposed to be doing in the church. Of all the one another statements in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote 60% of them. By the hand of Paul, he wrote phrases like this, love one another, be devoted to one another, serve one another, bear with one another, and my personal favorite, carry one another's burdens. Now that sounds like go through Gogol, Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan with one another. And when it comes to what may very well be the roller coaster of life, you know, having someone right there beside you, well, that can go a long way. I remember my first roller coaster as a teenager. It was called the Beast. It's located and housed in, outside of Cincinnati at Kings Island. Longest roller, wooden roller coaster in the world. Emery, he was the one that sat me through it. As I gripped his arm and as I screamed, and as he laughed. I think that when we recognize the power that you and I have, the influence that we have. You know, I think it goes the other way too. So often we, we keep it for ourselves and we rob our friends of the joy of being there with us. Of praying over us. Don't rob your friend of the joy of having you by their side either. 
recognize the role that you may very well be commissioned in having to be that encourager, to be that help, to be that prayer partner, and to be there as they make those decisions to cross or not to cross. Because in the end, you're going to receive the blessing as you see them make the choice and them be encouraged and them receive victory in their life just as Elisha did when he absolutely received the double portion of Elijah's spirit in his life. Don't ever underestimate the power of being a friend. Let's pray together.